0: Back a few years ago, my wife and I went on a retreat. It was a couple's retreat, uh, and we were there staying very nice facilities. This particular retreat was at a Hilton, and so we were staying there at the Hilton and fully enjoying that, but we had run out of money uh, as far as the extras that we might be able to get, so we decided that we would rather than go to the buffet for breakfast, we decided that we would stay in the room uh, and that we would get the continental breakfast uh, and order that and save a few dollars. Uh, and so we ordered that uh, over the phone in the morning, and sure enough, a few minutes later, this gentleman comes up and knocks on our door, and uh, as he knocks on the door, there's a, a trays that on a roller, and he brings in these beautiful silver trays that are, uh, you know, for a king, And rolls them in and puts them next to our table and takes out our orange juice and our coffee and puts it on the little table overlooking the little outlook over out the window there at the Hilton. Very, very nice little setup. And uh, then he, you know, says uh, thank you and we tip him and he leaves. And so we go over to the silver tray with the food in it and pull it up and there Uh, In in this beautiful china is a bagel and cream cheese, and then in a little bowl is the fruit. And uh, it was beautifully displayed and exactly what we ordered. And that's all we needed, and so we put it on the table and had a, a very nice time relaxing, eating our bagels. And we got through, and I looked at my wife, and I said, hey, wonder what that cost." And uh, she goes, I don't know, because we didn't really ask or look, but we decided that we needed to save the money by doing the bagels. And so there was a little bill there that was charged to our room, and I picked it up and I looked at it. And for the bagels, the cost was $25. For the bagels, orange juice, and, uh, and of course, not to mention the tip. We had... Uh, decided the buffet, by the way, was 999. <laughs> we had traded in the buffet for the bagels because of the lack of knowledge. We just didn't even know. Now that's a silly story, and it's, uh, you know it's a, it's a true story, but silly, but I believe in my life, often I am trading in the buffet of promise that God has given us through Christ uh, for the bagels. And that is often because of just a lack of knowledge, because of the lack of knowledge that people perish, so to speak. They lose the blessing of all that God would want them to have. This morning, I want to turn us, if we could, over into Ephesians to start with, looking at chapter 1. If you would look at chapter 1 beginning at verse 17, we see that the Apostle Paul talking to the church of Ephesus had a similar concern that we might not take advantage of the buffet as well, that we might miss some of the joy of our calling and privilege of relationship. Listen to what he says beginning in verse 17 of chapter 1 of Ephesians. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints, and the incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given not only in the present age, but the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Paul calling out to the church of Ephesus and saying to them, communicating with them that he wishes that they would have full understanding of wisdom, that is, the uh, the living daily uh abiding relational connectiveness with the presence of the living God, the wisdom of that, that they would have the wisdom and the revelation of that, the understanding of that, that God uh, would allow them, that he he prays intensely that they might not be shortchanged. In my life, I I think that I often relegate the... uh, Potential of experience with the living God to something of maybe at best an episodal um, experience with Him for a few moments, uh, maybe alongside of that with uh, m- better moralistic behavior. In other words, uh, that. I consider or think of my daily relationship with God on, if you asked me the question, you said, Matt, how are you doing spiritually? I might answer it something like this at times. I might sit there and go, well, let's see. Let's see. That's a great question. How, how am I doing spiritually? Um, and my mind might run over to, well, you know what? This has been a pretty good week. I've had uh, quiet times pretty regularly this week. I've studied in the Word and had a few moments of prayer. And so I might answer that question by saying, well, you know, I appreciate you asking. I, I'm doing pretty well spiritually because, uh, because I had, uh, you know, five times this week, 15 minutes of quiet time. And that might be the answer to you on how I'm doing spiritually. What that is saying is as important as that communion with God is through His Word, and nobody is debating that. The importance of the truth of the Word of God and the transforming power of it, the supernatural work of His truth, that is a major significant part of our Christian walk. is uh, as is our prayer time, as is uh, our fellowship with believers and communion of the body of Christ, uh, as is many things that are referred to by Christendom today as means of grace. But the challenge is, is that do we sometimes get confused and we begin trusting and thinking that spirituality is simply chasing after the means versus the end to which the means are supposed to lead us. Do you understand what I'm saying here? That we can go after, and again, we should go after the means of grace. We want the disciplines of the faith. We want to live that out and seek that out. But we're not serving the means. The means are to an end. And the end, God clearly, intentionally has communicated with us since the creation story. He has a significant end result of the supernatural work that he does through our lives. The the point is, is that I can look at my Christian life as an episodal, experience on a daily basis and that be where it starts and stops and so to speak I acknowledge God at the beginning of the day or sometime throughout the day and then I go about my business and I really am not much aware of the presence of the living God in and through everything that's going on. It's easy to do that. It's also easy for Matt to struggle with even the episodal meetings What is God's intentionality? What is his desire? In order to really fully understand what Christ has done in our behalf through his work on the cross, to understand what being set free means, to understand what Paul is talking about here that we might understand with all wisdom and revelation the riches of his glory. In in, in, In other words, the Uh, The means to the end the end what God's intentionality in order to understand that We've got to stop a minute and ask Lord. What is your intentionality? What is your purpose and and he doesn't fail to share that so very simply, but I so easily get off track from missing the point and Therefore I, I end up with bagels instead of a buffet Well, what did it what were his intentions? What is his, What does he relish? What does he cherish? What does he want? What is his desire? Well, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and his purposes in the creation are the same today and will be forever. What was his purpose? And so we go from that point looking at that situation and going, God, Father, uh, Paul had a message uh, that you spoke through him supernaturally to us and he is warning us, be careful that you're not missing out on something. Am I missing out on something? And I think I have to confess to you that I, I have and do at times miss out on something. Part of it is is, is just the distraction of fleshly desire, the mad chases to fill... Myself up, and that therefore I miss out on things because of my pure sinfulness. But another part of it, and we'll speak to that a little bit as we conclude, another part of it, though, and I think a great part of it, is a simple lack of knowledge of God's intentions. What did God intend? We have to go back to the creation story at the start in order to understand his purposes. And then we see that message, that thread, and more than a thread, that clear indelibly ink mark across all the scripture of what God's intentions were and how he is playing that out for his glory and our blessing. Overwhelming blessing. So what is that? So we go back to the creation story and we see the six days of the creation that go on in each day at the end of these miraculous daily moments of creation. If we could be uh, go from here and move to back, back in time to that moment and watch that spectacular movement of God of the creation, it, it must have, it was, it was beyond human imagination. In fact, today on this side of, of God's creation and looking out into the stars and, and all that he has created. If it, nobody can look at that according to Scripture if they're honest beings and not marvel that God created it. It's impossible because it is impossible to really understand how big and how beautiful and how wonderful what the, God's purpose is. Each day of the creation was the unfolding of that beginning of the story leading uh, to, to day six. Day one through five, and at the end of each of those days, God finished that day of creation, he said it was good. And when God says it's good, how good is good? I mean, you know, that, that's a level of good that we can't even understand or imagine for God to state that. And then the capstone of the creation, all of it to his glory, and all of it exceptional beyond imagination and everything, but the capstone of the creation is that God now in day six creates man in his own image. And when God creates man in his own image, as he looks at the whole of what is done and the incredible finale of what is done, God looks at his creation and he goes, he goes, it is very good. It is off the charts good. It is spectacularly good. Had God done something so good, so creative, so unique, so powerful that he stepped back from what he made and went, Wow! Had he wowed himself? That's what he's saying. He's saying this is this is incredibly good, beyond good. And what had taken place at this point in the creation was man was created and was created in the image of God and with the one part of the creation that had the wonderful privilege of something the rest of creation could not understand, could not participate in. In their own way, they brought glory to the Lord. Everything from the flowers in the fields to the trees to the animals, they in one way bring glory to the Lord in the uniqueness of their creation. But man in a unique way brings this incredible glory to the living God in that there's communion. There's community with God. There's relationship with God. There's connectiveness with God. There's intimacy with God. And the Lord finished the sixth day of the creation. And it says there, it says, the Lord blessed man. The Lord blessed man. And when you look at words like this, if you're like I am, I step away from words like that. And I go, boy, that is a, I said, think about that. That the creator of all the universe, the king of kings, the God that, uh, the, in, again, the incredible almighty God created man and, and he now not only created man, he wants to commune with man, but he blesses man, the Hebrew word used when he says that God blessed man is the word barak, B-A-R-A-K. And this particular Hebrew word, what it means is it means that God blessed, he adored, he stepped toward man in the creation. He adored man. He communed with man. He was in touch with every part of his created ones and adored them. And it also carries with it an action perspective to the word, an uh, action verbal perspective. He blessed that he adored as he kneeled. God the creator kneeled down and blessed his created ones. Here in the creation story, we see the intentionality of God to create man and within for relational communion with him. And he literally br- brings himself to the created ones. No sin yet, no brokenness. Uh, no distortions, no perversions, no confusions, no messiness in the perfection of that moment. And he reaches down, kneels down as if a father or mother would kneel down to their little child and just hold them close. And everything was in place and set up for this communion, for this relationship, for this intimacy, for this uh, thriving thoroughfare of connectiveness, of presence and awareness of God in in the perfection of the kingdom that God had created. It was all good. It was very, very good. Now, I don't have time today to go into the details of what I would like to go into, but I'm going to just touch on this so that we be reminded of this. So, all of that moving forward in the, the glory of God. And then in an egotistical nightmare. The evil one. Uh, by, by the way, do know that man had had it all. Man, it, and it wasn't that man, uh, man had communion with God. And in communion with God, there was the overflow of what I refer to as intimacy, identity, and influence. That man had intimacy and connectiveness and a love relationship. Um, a love story was being told. There was no neediness for intimacy in man and woman. They had all of that in their abiding relationship with the living God. Their identity, there was no question about who, they, who had made them and their connection and their hope in him. And the blessing that came from that communion and closeness Attachment to the living God, and even they had uh, influence in that God created them to be a partaker and enjoy carrying out His glory through ministry and through carrying out responsibility. In in a way, they were kings and queens of the created of what God had created. God, the King of Kings, and they served as subservient kings under Him. They had it all; it was all there. But it wasn't that they. Uh, that they went out and found intimacy and identity and influence and then came back to God and communed with him. They communed with him and they had and were rich and full and all that they had and they overflowed from intimacy, identity, and influence. Again, they had no fear. They had no angst. They were not in battle. They weren't on chases. They didn't, they, uh, life was perfected in communion with the living God. That was God's purposes in the creation. Uh, at the, the creation story was that he might commune with man. But again, in an egotistical nightmare, Adam and Eve um, were tempted. The evil one that tempted them, as you know, was the archangel that was the highest, most beautiful of all the angels. Lucifer. And he, Lucifer himself had fallen from the kingdom because of his sin. He, he decided that being the, the archangel wasn't enough. He wanted to be as God. He wanted to be God himself. And so there man and woman are tempted by the evil one with the same temptation that, that Lucifer himself had fallen, that, he, that the thing that he had gone to and strived for and sought to be as God. He came and tempted man with a temptation like that. And what he basically told in, in the lengthy story of Genesis telling about the fall of man the bottom line was the evil one came to man and said are, are you really full do you really have everything you need and they did but then the evil one basically says to him no you don't God's holding back on you God is holding back on you and that's why he doesn't want you to partake of that one tree because you'll be as God and then you'll have it all they had it all but in an egotistical nightmare we know the fall of man and at the fall of man at that point of sin everything that that was now has changed man because of his sin is cut off from a relationship the relationship of abiding that filled every bit of their, what they were created to enjoy and experience. And man was cut off from that relationship with God. And in being cut off from, because of their sin, it, it created a division. And man went from life to death spiritually. They were a mere shell of their former self. They once were thriving with life because of communion with the living God and overflowing, and now they were dead in their trespasses and sin. Literally dead, spiritually speaking. They were without the... Uh, th- th- what they once had was, was all different now. Broken, lost. And yet within them after the initial response of God seeking them out, and responses which, again, I won't go to right now to move forward and what I want to, want to finish sharing with you. In the initial, after the initial responses, Adam and Eve, a, a mere shell of their former self, still had this incredible craving and desire to have intimacy and identity and influence found only in God himself but they're broken and there is no relationship with God. So they begin to serve the mad chases of life to try to find, again, a place where they sense love and where they sense identity and they sense influence. They go on this mad chase to try to fill that void. And that is, in itself, the temptation that we have in our lives before we were believers and even after we are believers, the challenge to our flesh is that we go on mad chases to try to find what only communion with God can fully give us. And so you name the sin area, the mad chase, you name whatever it is you're chasing after, both good things and bad things, the idols that are in our life that we find that we begin to serve, you name any of them, and I want to suggest to you they'll come back to a void of intimacy, identity, and influence that we go on those mad chases to find those things, to fill ourselves up. But they're always empty and we all have stories of that where we have gone on mad chases and we have even gotten to the end of the mad chase and maybe even succeeded at some points of making it to the top of that only to find that that there was no gold at the end of the rainbow. That even in the best case stories, it didn't fill us up. And so we see in our lives that some of those chases are obviously sinful and it's empty. And we know it even going in, we are sometimes dumb enough to keep chasing the same stuff. It's always empty, but we keep chasing it. Other times, though, as even the world around us and even people that are, have positive influence in our life will push us toward things because it's not that they're inherently evil, it's that we make them our God's. And so we chase after those and we expect that to fulfill us, some of the beautiful things, even our marriages. We expect that that ultimately will fill us. Your marriage will never do what only God can do. Your children will never do only what, I'm talking about things that are beautiful. The the greatest story of work integrity and seizing the day and success in the workplace will never do what only God can do. The mad chase for academia and all the things that could come from that in our lives. At the end of the rainbow, if, if we're looking for it to fill us with only God can do, it will never fill us up. It's empty, and I love the fact it is, because God uses those empty moments to awaken us, to sober us up, to understand that only only Christ can do it. And so here we have man having been given all of. God himself this kneeling communing adoring God and now broken relationship and man is in trouble he is hopeless he is helpless he he isn't uh spiritually uh sick or or spiritually uh put uh able but not responding he's dead he needs a miracle he needs a supernatural miracle he needs to be raised from the dead spiritually. I love stories occasionally that I hear from past. Scripturally you see and you today still hear some stories in some places where there are legitimate raising of the dead of people where God's hand and the point of miracle, a unique situation, God is still able to do that. And I mean, I'm astounded. I'm always a little skeptical, but you then get some facts, and there are some of those accounts, and you go, whoa, you know, and what might that be like? Here's the real story that's amazing. Every one of you that are sitting in here today that have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you were raised from the dead. And I was raised from the dead. Nothing of myself, only of God. For by grace are we saved through faith, not that of ourselves. It's only a gift of God that no man should... that God did it all. No man gets the glory. God gets all the glory in that. So God is a faithful God to that and in that. But what what did did Christ do? When Christ came, lived, died on the cross on our behalf, and we came into relationship with Christ and we were raised from the dead, we were raised from the dead to walk in a newness of relationship, a newness of experience. Really what took place was, is Christ died, our sins were forgiven, the curtain was torn for us, and God, we were re-entered into the spectacular communion with the living God. And this is what Paul is talking about, that he wants us to see the, how the, uh, the glory of that communion, the blessing of the communion. A little bit later in Ephesians, he says, I want you to see how long and how wide and how high and how deep the love of God is for you. My work is, is, ha, has paid the price that you can re, re, you're reignited in life into not just a heavenly kingdom one day. Thank the Lord for that. But you are brought back to life in community with the living God, in intimacy with God. We see it all through the Scripture. We see over um, in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 an example. It says this, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your pathways. The word acknowledge, we might think of it as that you might look at somebody across the room that you met the, you know, me, that the men's retreat, and I might wave. Somebody I met. That, that's sort of our English thought of what acknowledge means. We would just take a minute and, and notice someone at a distance. But the word acknowledge doesn't mean that at all. The word acknowledge, when it says Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge God. It means to experientially know someone. In all your ways, experience the communion with the living God. And and as you go, the presence, the living presence, not the check in with God episodically, and then go your way. Practically speaking, again, as I said from the beginning, I think that we're lured into bagels missing the buffet. That the Lord says to us, he says, I acknowledge me, know me intimately. In the very passage that I read to you out of Ephesians two different times, Paul says that you might know, K-N-O-W, you might know the wisdom of God, that you might know the blessings to which you are being called. He's talking there not about just head understanding, but he's talking about that you may experientially know that you might understand, that you might truly be enfolded into a life with God, the community of God, the communion of God, and the overflow of that, that that your, your sense of significance, your sense of identity, your sense of hope your sense of direction would be overflow because you are in a communion with God. God didn't, Christ didn't die just to give us heaven. Christ died that we might be reunited into communion with the living God. We see it in, uh, over in John chapter 15, a passage that most of you are very familiar with. The, the, the passage actually read this morning that we would, the concept of abiding with the Lord, that we would understand to abide, to experientially live in communion with the Lord. That Christ died, that He is divine, and we are attached through Christ to the husbandman, the Father, who is the gardener. We, we sometimes forget in, in John 15 that it's the husbandman, the Father, who is the gardener. And then Jesus is the vine, and we are the branches attached back in. What are we attached to? We are given new life. We're giving supernaturally raised from the dead, and we are giving a thoroughfare of privilege to know, to experientially commune with God. The curtain is torn away, and we're invited into the very presence of the living God in the name of Jesus Christ. To, to know Him, experience Him in all aspects of our life. And we know, we, we in our lives, practically speaking, have different experiences if we would go around the room and I would say, share with me a story where you were astounded, by love, as a, you know, human being on a human being level, you could share stories. I shared with the men the other day the story of when my first son was born, and it was actually true. The second two times, but most shocking with the first one because it was the first time. And uh, Vicky ended up having to have a C-section at that time. They wouldn't allow, uh, you know, the fathers in during a C-section, and so the, the doctor came out with this you know, little bundle of joy and all that. The, but when when he did, you know, as a dad with a baby to come, and I know moms experience a lot more of this while carrying the baby, but for me as a dad, I didn't quite know what to expect. I knew that it was real exciting and a lot scary. But when the doctor came out with Matthew all bundled up and reached over and had called me back into the little nursery Uh, holding room before you actually go in the nursery and the doctor came out and I met him there and he walked up and he just reached over and he just handed me this little fellow. And (laughs) i but I I I took this little fellow I wondered, you know, beforehand as I said what was this going to be like? But it was indescribable. And many of you have this story, and understand I I took him and there was there wasn't a moment, a second from that point on that he wasn't my son and my beloved and the cherishing before one bit of spit up came out or poop (laughs) the the love connection was unfathomable I mean there's no exaggeration here it was there some of you know and understand what. and, and I just held him and my protective nature dare you touch my son I'll knock your head off. I mean, it's a, the protective nature, the, the beauty of, of a God-like character was there in a common way with me and my son. This incredible experience of that. How much more, if that's the story of human beings, how much more is the beauty of God's cherishing and adoring us and the communion and the desire for a constancy of connectiveness. How much more is it from God to us? My dad passed away in December and my mom passed away in February. It's been a a very blessed many years, but it was a very hard year for us because of that loss. But one of the memories of many memories for me that I so miss and so cherish is as we uh, all through our years, the affection of our parents was wonderful. But as we got into adulthood uh, and had moved through that phase where we might kind of get face-to-face with our parents and it was totally uncomfortable... My dad never let that get totally uncomfortable and would kind of enforce that with embrace. But what he developed was he developed this closeness where when we would come to the door to visit, and he would come to the door, you would see him coming across the den and with this huge smile. My mom equally here, but this is I'm just sharing the dad's story. He would come across the den with this huge smile of elation that we were there to visit. Even when we lived in our hometown, it was like every time it was this way, I'm going, this isn't that exciting, is it, for you? But it was. And, uh, and he would come across, and when my wife would come go in the door, he would give her a hug, and then she would make her way on into the den and, and with my mom. But when I would come to the door, he would step out of the door, and he would stand there and look at me. And uh, when, uh, until he got into his 70s and 80s, he always said, I kept growing. Yeah, no, I didn't keep growing. He got smaller. But anyway, he would take his arms and he would put them on my shoulders. He, and, and I was kind of like, you know, it was not, I mean, it was, it was wonderful and I loved it, obviously, but it was kind of not comfortable completely. But he wouldn't let me by. He'd stand there right in the door, he'd put his arms, and he would just look at me in, in the eyes. And he would say, I love you. And he'd just look at me for too long. <laughs> It was beautiful. It was beautiful. It was beautiful then. It's a beautiful memory now. We have have these moments where we can, from human to human, cherish those stories. But they are nothing like the spectacular love that your Father has for you through the work of Christ. And so the... Jesus says he died in our behalf, paid the penalty. Miraculously, supernaturally, he was raised from the dead. It's interesting that Ephesians says the same power that took Jesus and beat back the very demons and Satan himself and, and raised his son from the dead is the same power you're promised and exerted in you for his glory. Whew! But I stray a little. God raises his son from the dead. We come into relationship through Christ, his work in our lives. He raises from the dead. We come into communion, community with God. And God desires not episodal stopbys, but an invitation to say, God, I have no idea what Matt's really talking about. And I share with you, I don't know much about what I'm talking about. But I know it's true. But Lord, may we know how high and long and wide and deep your love is. Lord, would you not allow us, because of the lack of knowledge, because of fleshly mad chases, hinder you from opening our eyes to experience being in your hug and understanding what that means fully in our lives Lord would you allow Matt God would you help me understand the, what you did for me the price you paid and what you have done in my behalf Father would you do that would you invite the Lord to do that it's not, a, it's not your relationship with Jesus any, about anything you ever did or ever will do Even the faith you believe on came from him. It's about what he's doing. Would we stop and go, Lord, maybe I am eating the buffet, but maybe not. Lord, I don't want to settle for the bagels. But Lord, through the power of your word, through the power of prayer, through the power of worship, Christian community, through the power of fellowship, among believers, speaking of fellowship, through the power of my everything going on around me, all of the means of grace, would you show me, Lord, would you more and more allow me to experience your end desire of communion, of relationship? Isn't it amazing, as I close, that we can take God's full intention of relationship with his children and his cherishing? Zephaniah, I, let me read this one passage before we go. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. The Lord loves you. He's powerful and mighty. Through the blood of Jesus, you're set free. You're set free for relationship. Might we say to the Lord, I believe, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. Let's pray.